this is the beginning of a new section, uh, and I'll probably be stepping on the toes of my message, but whatever. Um, we're, we're starting um, a new part of Romans. Uh, we're going to end up recapping some of this next week because I, I feel like people are going need to need to hear. But this week is kind of just um, setting the foundation for this whole ending chunk of, of Romans. So um, I'm very excited to go through it. I'm very excited to see what God speaks to us and, and how he directs us. Um, but uh, before I get into that, I, I had a thought as I was pondering uh, how we, you know, how to approach these, these first couple verses of Romans. I thought about uh, Newton's first law of motion. Does, does any of you remember Newton's first law of motion? If you, if you don't remember it, you'll probably recognize it when you hear it. It states that an object at rest stays at rest and an object in motion stays in motion in the same direction and speed unless acted upon by another force. Okay? Every physical object in the universe is subject to this law. It's called Newton's law, but it's really God's law. God is the one who, who created it, who, who established it. It's part of his design. It's one of the primary ways that all of the stars and all the planetary bodies in the universe uh, interact with each other, how we're, the universe is finely tuned, and this is one of the laws that causes that to happen. Um, the gravity of each one of these different bodies throughout the universe interacts with the nearby bodies, and, and it, it keeps them in, in uh, rotations and orbits and, and keeps them from running into each other or just flying off into random locations. Also on Earth, we we experience this sort of thing. On Earth, there's gravity. It affects the, the movement of everything on the planet. When somebody shoots a basketball, that ball could not make it in the basket if it were not for gravity affecting it and causing it to arc to go into the hoop. Otherwise, it would just go in a straight line and at best bounce back you know, in the other direction. But uh, you couldn't get that arc if it weren't for that force acting upon it. Today, as we dive into the book of Romans, I promise this isn't a science lesson today. It's just, I thought it was interesting because uh, today, as we dive in the book of Romans, we're going to be looking at two different forces that interact with our lives, that can change the trajectory of, of what our lives look like and where we're headed. Romans 12, 2 breaks down uh, these things into two main categories, the influences of the world and the influences of God. When we first began this, this study in the book of Romans, I, I mentioned that uh, Romans could be broke down into four categories. There's the wrath of God, the grace of God, the plan of God, and the will of God. So this is the beginning of that fourth category, the will of God. And before we jump into it, though, I'm going to do a quick review. I know you guys have gotten kind of uh, familiar with the fact that I like to recap, but I'm not doing it just because I like to recap, um, but because the chapter is, as we find so often, we find these, these words like and so or therefore that point us back to what we just learned so that we can clearly understand what is to come. So this is one of those times. Chapter 12 starts off with the word and so or depending on your translation, therefore. And so we're going to look back and see what happened previously so we can properly understand what we're moving into. 
Uh, earlier in Romans, uh, we were reading about the wrath of God. In the very beginning, was the wrath of God. We were made aware of our sinfulness, that we've fallen short of God's glorious standard. And because of our sin, we needed to be rescued, rescued from the wages of death that we had earned. So God, being rich in mercy and because of his great love for us, made a way for us. But because we're weak and we didn't have a way to earn it, he did it for us. He gave it to us for free. He, he showed us this act of love that's beyond words and he gave it to us. He paid the debt for us. Even when we didn't love him, he chose to pay this debt for us. Think about it. When we were living in sin, we who were made in the image of God, we we're supposed to be reflections of who God, reflections of, of his character, we were acting in ways that are vile to God. So we're created to be in his image, but instead we're acting in a way that is vile to him. If you imagine you're going to a big family wedding and you have your kids, you get their hair cut and all comb nice and, and you put them in new clothes and you tell them to be on their best behavior, part of the reason why you might do this is because they're, they're a reflection of you. You know that if, if they're misbehaving, uh, people are going to look at you and be like, what kind of kids are you raising? So if you imagine that you're walking up to this church and uh, before you even get to the door, your kids are wrestling in the dirt and their sleeves are torn and their hair is a mess and they're causing a major scene, um, you can imagine that the wrath of the parents would be building. Now, it may not be fully poured out in that moment. They may hold it off until they get home later, uh, but you have to believe that they had earned themselves some wrath. Our sin has earned wrath, but we don't really understand what kind of wrath we earned until we see the cross, until we look at what Jesus endured in our place. There's more than just a mild displeasure that we could just make up for it by doing something good. We sinned. We, we did something unholy and God is holy. So we crossed over a line. Um, we, we separated ourselves and our unholiness uh, from God. And uh, we needed help. We couldn't get back. But God, because he created us in his image and loves us, he made a way, even at his own expense, he came and paid the penalty for us, dying on the cross. So that's how much God loves us. Think about that. Think about how much God loves you. I kind of mentioned this when I was praying, but when he died on the cross, he didn't just die for all mankind. He died for you. We, we have a personal God. We have a God who knew you in the womb, who, who formed you, who, who saw you before you were born. And he knows you right now, right down to the ever-changing number of hairs on your head. He knows you. He cares about you. He did not just create mankind. He created you. And God chose to redeem you and adopt you and make you his own. He chose to put his spirit inside of you. And we read in Romans 8, uh, verses 1 and 2, a verse we've become very familiar with, says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit that has freed you from the power of sin and death 
the power of the life-giving spirit that has freed you from the power of sin and death. I feel like I'm reading that wrong. Freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. God's power has freed us so that we don't have to experience death anymore because we belong to him. Belong, we, you belong to him. Like it's, it's, he's familiar with what, he, what belongs to him. He, he's connected to what belongs to him. We are his. Um, what we've covered leading up to today throughout the book of Romans is that there was a wrath of God that was more than we could bear. And God's love and grace and mercy was shown beyond what we can even comprehend. And there's a promise of God for our eternity, spending eternity with him that is more wonderful than we can imagine. And so that's what stands in front of this therefore. This, this stands in front of that and so. So when you, when, you, when you hold on to this thought and then you go into the next, next verses, um, it, it is the motivation for why we want to do, why we want to follow, why we want to um, focus on what these next two verses say because of all that he's done. So uh, chapter 11 closed out uh, with uh, 33 through 36. We're going to actually read through the end of chapter 11 and into the first two verses of chapter 12. It ended saying, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice and who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him. This is, a, this is we're gonna repeat this part later, but for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever, amen. And then moving into Romans 12, verse one, it says, and so, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the, pattern, the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we uh, remember, as we remind ourselves, as we shake free of, of the, 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 the things of this world that can distract us and can, can consume our minds and we remember uh, the, the greatness of, of the Almighty God and we think of the the wonders of, of, the, of, his, of your forgiveness, of, of your mercies, of your adoption of us, of our, of our future that we have of you, of, our, of, the, of the joy and peace and strength that we have in you, the, the whole gambit of, of all that you have offered us and all that you've taken us from, that you've, that you've separated us from this punishment, this wrath, Lord, and you've given us uh, eternal life in you and and a love that is beyond compare and uh, relationship with, with the God of all creation. Lord, as we, as we hang on to this, Lord God, help us to, um, to let that guide how we receive your word today. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. All right, 
So I'm going to put Romans 12, verse 1 up there. Good. Got that. Um, Who is Paul addressing here? If we look at the very beginning, it says, and so, dear brothers and sisters. So God is, not God, Paul, God through Paul, really, uh, is addressing Christians. He says, dear brothers and sisters. He's not talking about his mom's kids. (laughs) He's talking about Christians. So this isn't a call for non-Christians to to turn to Christ. He's he's saying for those who've received the good news of Jesus, those who've been adopted into the family of God, he's talking to them. He says, uh, he's actually not just talking though. He says says he's pleading. I plead with you. And we've seen that kind of terminology over the last couple of chapters. Paul's heart for for the people of Israel and how he pleads for them. He pleads for us too. This is not just for the Jews. This is for all believers. He pleads with us. He pleads with us, us to give our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. What does that mean? What does it mean to give your bodies? I know how to give money. I know how to give time. I know how to give my energy. All of those things can be broken into pieces or into chunks and you can give part of it. You can't do that with your body. Don't do that. (laughs) You're much better in one piece. Um, He says, let them, that is your bodies, be a living sacrifice. Prior to Jesus, God required the Jews to offer animals as sacrifice, but but the animals were killed. Their blood was shed as a temporary covering for sin, but Now that Jesus came and he offered a perfect sacrifice, there's no more need for blood to be be spilled. There's no more need to die or for there to be any other death to pay for our our penalty that required death. Um, Our sins have been atoned for, so now we can offer him a living sacrifice. Before we received God's free gift of salvation and forgiveness, our lives were stained with sin and we were controlled by our sinful nature, but now we've been cleansed from the unholiness that's separated from, from God and we, we no longer have to give control to our sinful natures. We read back in chapter 8 that, uh, that before we had these sinful urges, but now we have no obligation to follow those sinful desires and now we can be controlled by the Holy Spirit and only by being controlled by the Holy Spirit can we truly please God. Our bodies are what we do life in. So when we're offering our, our bodies to God, our bodies are what we do life in. The actions and words done in the body display the, the attitude of our heart. Paul reminds us that in the light of all that God has done for us, because of his mercies, because of his compassions, which many of you who are familiar with this verse know that the words mercy or compassion is in there depending on your translation, but he, he, he lumps it all together. In this translation it says, Um, all that he has done for you. Thinking about all the things that we've covered in the first 11 chapters, all that he's done for you uh, and because because everything comes from him. We read that last verse in chapter 11. It says everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Because of all that, let your bodies, let your words, let your actions be be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable, the kind that will be pleasing to to him. Giving our bodies as a living sacrifice is an offering. It is a demonstration of our gratitude and love 
for God. This is what he calls our true and proper way to worship God. And this isn't a, this isn't a little thing. You know, we, many, most of us have been Christians for a long time. Um, this is such, this is a big ask. And, and most of you have wrestled with this at, at one point in time or another, but, but it's good to remember, he, this, this is called a sacrifice. It's called a sacrifice. We, we just celebrated Christmas recently. Um, a lot of you guys gave presents to your family and your friends. I'm guessing that probably you didn't have to sacrifice too much. Like maybe your, maybe your savings took a little dent, but you probably didn't have to take a second job on or, or sell some prized possession to be able to offer those gifts. God is calling us to sacrifice. Jesus in Luke chapter 14 says that if we want to be his disciples, we need to first count the cost. That there is a cost to following Christ. Later he says, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. That sounds big. <laughs> you know, the idea of giving up everything you have. Now, he's not asking you to, to right now, maybe he is, but I, you know, he's never asked me to give up everything you own. He, he's saying, it's not your own though. He's saying, don't treat it as if it's your own. Recognize it's not your own. It, it all belongs to him. We may still have possession of it. We still may be stewards of it. We're, we're supposed to um, take care of it. He's blessed us with things, but we should use those things to accomplish his will, to accomplish his purposes. We, we give it all to him. And, and, you know, he loves us. He doesn't want us, uh, he's not asking us to, to live in a, in a dirt hole and, and wear rags, you know, we, it's okay for us to enjoy the provisions he's given us, but we need to recognize that they're still his to do whatever he wants with. The world's way of viewing all these things, though, is to keep on accumulating more and more. We're supposed to separate. We're supposed to view those things according to they belong to God and we want to honor him with them. The world views them with greed and envy and lust. This is not a small ask to surrender all, to sacrifice. And we're going to spend the rest of our lives finding different areas in our life that we still need to lay down. Like we're, we're, we're not, I'm, I'm guessing nobody here is going to be able to do a self-evaluation, determine every little thing <laughs> that they haven't yet laid down to God and, and be able to lay it down and walk away completely today. It, it, it's something the Holy Spirit works in us. Little by little, we notice pieces that are like, you know what, I need to give that to God. And, and, and oftentimes we'll lay them down and, we'll, and we pick them back up again. And we have to recognize again that, that I need to lay that thing down. I, this is, this, everything belongs to God. That is, if I'm gonna worship God, if I'm gonna recognize what he did for me, that he took me from death to life and a promise of eternity, he's worthy. He's worthy of that kind of worship. Verse one ends saying, this is truly the way we worship him. Some other translations, uh, instead of saying truly the way, they say this is our reasonable worship or this is our spiritual uh, act of worship or spiritual service of worship. It comes from a, a Greek word that, that has to do with what, uh, what is the true nature of something. Uh, 
in I believe it's First Peter uh, chapter two, it talks about the pure spiritual milk that that new believers need. The, the, the pure spiritual milk. That word pure is the same word. It's it, it's what what is the true nature of what they need. Um, so we're looking at the the true nature of worship is sacrifice. It's it's offering our lives, offering our bodies, offering our everything to God. There's um, some translations too that uh, that call it our reasonable act of worship. It's reasonable. It, it, maybe that sounds like a, a weird translation from that one word could mean uh, reasonable or true or spiritual, all kind of coming from the same thing. But but it's it all has to do with this essence of of what is the true nature of it, and it, and it's reasonable. It makes sense. God gave us more than we could ever ask for. He's, he's completely changed the tra- tra- trajectory of our lives. What can make more sense? He created us. He bought us. He loved us. He saved us. He, he created us to reflect his glory. Living for him makes the most rational sense. That's what we've been made. That's what we're made for. We're not asked to check our brain at the door. We, when, we, when you consider it, when you consider what you've received, when you consider what he did, and you consider what you're offering, we're getting the better deal. <laughs> but, it's, but it's reasonable for us to give to him. Verse one uh, pointed out what our response should be because of all God has done. It's kind of our, our motivation behind verse two. Verse two begins to talk about the how. How do we present our lives as a holy sacrifice that is acceptable to God? In the next uh, weeks, as we, as we go th- further into this chapter and even in the next couple chapters, it really goes into the specifics of what it means, uh, what that how is, how we offer our lives to God, what, what it is that God wants, what he views as, as holy and acceptable. He gives us some of those details. Um, but for right now, this is, is kind of a big picture presentation. This is kind of like the, the subtitle over top of the description. And, and in this verse, he's going to present these two forces that I mentioned earlier, the, the, the force of the world and the force of God that, that, that is pressing on us, that is, that is a, a force that steers us and guides us. So verse one is the heart motivation that guides us. And verse two is kind of the fork in the road where we make a decision which way we're going to go. So Paul continues his pleading in verse two where he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Thinking again back to Newton's first law of motion, we have to recognize what our original state is. We were born with a sin nature. Uh, we were born with natural desires to do evil. Kids are not naturally good. When, they, when they're born, uh, you'll, you'll find toddlers, you know, uh, pulling things out of each other's hands and knocking them over and hitting them and biting them. Um, they're, they're kind of little monsters, you know, but over time, 
you know, they have a force that acts against them. They have parents that, that help teach them and, and they learn not to do those things. And they shape us. I mean, look around. Look at what a good job, what good, look at what a good job you're all doing, keeping your hands to yourself, being quiet. It's wonderful. I, a little break in silence every once in a while is okay, though. <laughs> Over the next several weeks of this study, Paul is going to lead us into a self-assessment of what God's will is for us. What is it that he's asking for us to, to do? What does he want our, these lives of offering to him to look like? What should we be doing? What shouldn't we be doing? What kind of attitude should we have as we're doing them? But first, we have to choose. First, we have to choose which path are we going to go on. Will we follow the world and be led by the sinful nature, or are we going to follow God and be transformed from the patterns of this world and grow into a new creation um, and continue that process that started when we first accepted Christ? He started this process of, of forming us and, and shaping us into this new creation, um, but we have decided, are we going to allow him to keep working our lives, or are we going to keep on chasing the patterns of the world? Uh, in the uh, New King James Version, it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It uses the word conformed and the word transformed. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting. Conformed, uh, you know, is, it's not, you can take something and kind of shape it maybe a little bit differently. It doesn't necessarily have to be a complete change. It's just kind of a molding that happens um, as these pressures happen throughout life. But being transformed, that's, that's a completely different thing. It, do, it doesn't have to look anything like the old. Uh, the word transform that's used there is actually uh, the Greek word that you'd get the word metamorphosis from. So when you think of a, a butterfly or a caterpillar changing from a caterpillar into a butterfly, it's, it, it metamorphosizes. It, it's transformed into something entirely different. The first part of this key verse says, do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Now, if you've been paying attention to what's happening around, you see that this is a very big issue. Um, to me, it seems like a bigger issue at, in the church at large today than it's been for, well, at least my lifetime, which isn't terribly long, but, but, uh, but there's just a lot of obvious things that are happening in the church today that are uh, a picture of copying the behaviors of the world. I mean, obviously non-Christians are going to copy the patterns of the world. They are the world. You expect that from them. But the church, churches that are bearing the name of Christ are getting sucked into those same cultural norms. And, and worse yet, they're, they're deceiving those who are seeking to know the truth of God and teaching things that are not acceptable to him, that are not pleasing to him. There's churches out there um, that, are, that are teaching, instead of being transformed into something completely different from the world, they are uh, conforming to New Age philosophies. They're teaching that uh, God is some sort of a cosmic force and that Jesus is just one of many gurus out there that can lead you to you know, eternal bliss instead of being the only way to be saved, and that he is the son of God, not the son of a cosmic force, but the son of a personal God who knows us and has a plan for us. Then there's the sexual perversions that are being endorsed 
by many churches as holy unions. These ideas did not start by God's transforming power. We, we saw these ideas become common in culture first. This wasn't the church becoming distinct or separate from the ways of the world. This was, this was the, these are these churches that are, that are absorbing, they're, they're conforming rather than being transformed, they're conforming to the pattern. These things happened in the culture first and they're just following that pattern. We are called to be transformed into something different from the world. Something different than we were before. They said we started off, you know, sinful nature heading in one direction, but the, the influences of the world affect that trajectory. You can see the, the degrading uh, morality of culture and it's pushing even that, you know, the way we started into further and further decline. Um, but when we receive the Holy Spirit in our life and we start following the direction and the, the pressure, the force of God in our lives to become more and more like him, we end up going in the opposite direction. Verse two said, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is, uh, you know, it can sound all well and good, but it can be hard because we were in that old pattern. It's hard for us sometimes to let go of those old patterns, those old behaviors. But in light of all that God has done for us, because of the motivation that we see in, in verse one that points us back to everything that, that has been done for us, in light of what God has done for us, and in consideration of how unworthy we were to receive such a gift, in loving gratitude, we surrender our lives to him. We offer our lives in worship to him. So we turn from the world's ways and we fully offer our lives to God. And by his spirit, we begin to be transformed into this new creation, to be metamorphosized into a new person. And then where does that leave us? What, is, what does that look like then? We're, we're now like foreigners in a distant land. We, we don't fit in. We don't match the culture around us. Sometimes it means that we may be mocked or looked down upon or thought of as foolish or crazy. As a new creation, we may have to do things that stand out. Uh, we may have to say no to invites from friends or family because we know that the event will not honor God or, or it's going to be a temptation for us to fall back into those old patterns. As a new creation, we may feel like we need to dress with more modesty and we might not follow the, the latest fashion trends. As a new creation, we might speak differently. When we say God, we mean something completely different than what the world means. We, we avoid crude talk and coarse jokes. Um, we use our money differently, giving our money where God leads us to, to give it um, and not putting as much value on the latest doodads. I like that word. Uh, as a creation, uh, as a new creation, we don't chase after wealth as being the ultimate prize in life. And that's, that's the pattern of the world, like get more and more and more and more. As a new creation, we choose to befriend those that the world doesn't value. As a new creation, we love our enemies 
and we bless those who curse us. As, as the new creation, instead of canceling people, we forgive them. We pray for those who abuse us. We are a strange creature in the world that we live in. We're different. But in all reality, like I said before, we are the reasonable ones. We're the logical ones. We, it's not that we're not using our brains. It's that we've had our eyes opened. Looking way back to the beginning of Romans, it talked about how um, just looking around at creation, you can tell that there is a God and you can see his attributes. You can see that he's a God of order. You can see the, the kind of um, relationships that he created. It, it, we go into chapter two, he talks about how uh, he's put his laws on our heart, that there's, there's a conscience in us that, that kind of directs rights and wrongs, that there's, there are moral rights and wrongs. It can't be an evolutionary thing. I mean, why would, what kind, what kind of evolutionary process would cause us to care about morality, right or wrong? We're just trying to survival the fittest, right? That's, you know, that can't, that can't have come from evolution. That has to come from a, a creator. This idea of loving, having love for one another, having um, these types of attributes, um, this is outside of the realm of just a physical world. There's a, there's a spirit, there's a soul involved here that we see in our lives, that we see in, in creation and we see in our own experience as a human being that God, there is a God, there's something greater than the physical. Um, the world that denies that is kind of crazy <laughs> to, to see all of this and just think it, it happened by chance. All of this, you know, I talked about the universe and all of being finely tuned and the gravity pulling the planets and keeping them all in perfect order for us to be at just the right place and the right tilt and the right rotation for life to exist on this planet with the, the right amount of water and air and all of this stuff. There is a God. And so... Um, it's, it's interesting, uh, Jeremiah 10, I'm not going to read the whole, the whole chapter, but it's kind of a funny chapter to read. Uh, God is, is talking about the foolishness of man and the things that they, that they put their faith in or their hope in or that they, that they put all their energy towards. <clears throat> in uh, verse 2 it says, this is what the Lord says. Do not act like the other nations who try to read their futures in the stars. Do not be afraid of their predictions, even though other nations are terrified by them. This is kind of an interesting one because it still goes on today. Um, there's, I read a statistic, somewhere around 25% of American adults, at least occasionally, uh, read their horoscopes and they put some value in what sign they are. Uh, one study found that of, of uh, females that, that follow Horoscopes. I'm not picking on females. It was just a study I found, okay? But, but of the females that, that read horoscopes on a regular basis, 33% of them uh, check their horoscope before a job interview, 35% before starting a new relationship, and 30, 34% before buying a lottery ticket. They, they believe that the stars are going to guide their chances of winning the lottery. These are the sorts of things that, that people who are you know, think we're crazy, do. <laughs> um, continuing on, God picks up in verse three. Um, it says, their ways are futile and foolish. They cut down a tree and a craftsman carves it into an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver and then fasten it securely with a hammer and nails so it won't fall over. 
Their gods are like helpless scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak and they need to be carried because they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of such gods for they can neither harm you nor do you any good. They were putting their, their value, their energy, their, their money into this thing, this creation, this, this man-made device of an idol. Um, it seems a little outdated to us. We don't see that exact type thing happening. You know, we're, we're making a, a human or animal type figure that, that you're worshiping. Um, but it doesn't mean that idolatry isn't still happening today in some shape or form. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Ask the worship team to come. Greed is one of the major forces that we see in the world today. And it says, the Bible says greed is idolatry. In the world, it is normal to chase after all of these things. Whatever, whatever it is that our, we desire that will please us, that's normal for the world. That's what, you, that's, what, that's what you live for, is just pleasure, just to get whatever you can get. The average household spends about as much on entertainment and eating out as they do on their rent or their mortgage payments. The world is consumed by phones, tablets, subscriptions to sports and movies. Um, they spend ridiculous amounts of money on drive through coffees and online shopping. We are a com consumer-based society. And when we're interacting with people and we hear everybody talking about all the, the purchases and things that they bought and how neat, neat this new doodad is or, or whatever, whatever it is they're spending their money on, um, it, can, it can change us. It can shape us. It can begin to conform us if we're not aware of it, if we're not remembering, if we're not reminding ourselves of that God asks us to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, that we're laying down the those sinful nature, the worldly desires, and we're saying, God, what do you want my life to look like? What do you, what do you want my life to be like? What, what pleases you? And, and, and as we go into this, like I said, as we go into this chapter and you see some of the things that we're called to do, those things are going to be way more fulfilling than the other things. I mean, um, you, you eat food and it's gone. You, you buy all these gadgets and within a couple of years, it's garbage. It's, you know... Uh, but, but when we give our lives to God, we, we, we build something that's going to last for eternity. We make influences in people's lives that are going to carry on for eternity. Um, our lives have real purpose, real meaning. Verse 2 says again, Do not copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How does that happen? How are we transformed into a new person? We have to let God change the way we think. As much as our, our body is an outward expression of what's happening inside, it starts by being controlled by our mind. We have to change the way we think. We have to recognize what are the ways that the world 
what is of the world and what is of God. Now, there's some things that are benign. You know, you can do some things that the world does uh, that are not evil, um, but you can also uh, do things that the world does that in a way where you're not honoring God with it. It can actually be a benign thing, but you could be doing it with the wrong heart and the wrong attitude. And so you can use something to glorify God or you can just be using it to, for your own benefit. Uh, first, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18 says, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, and where, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. We can understand it. Our, our minds have been transformed and the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That is, that's what God wants for us. That's what the, the force of God, that's what his spirit in us wants is for us to be changed into his glorious image. Now, just as a reminder, I'm, I'm not up here telling you all this because I've got it all perfected. Like, remember, whenever I'm up here talking, I'm, I'm talking to all of us. And so, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, it, some of it can seem hard. You know, maybe, maybe some of the things that you heard or thought of during this thing, something that, that maybe you don't want to let go of or, or to the thought of giving everything to God seems overwhelming. And, uh, you know, thankfully, we, like we've, we've read in the past, we stand in God's grace. We're not going to be perfect at this. We're going to make mistakes. But, but our heart and our attitude is that we want to, we desire to lay down our lives, that it will be a, a, a worship to him, that it will bring glory to his name. It's a transformation process, like I said before, that will last a lifetime. But if we want to make any real transformation, we have to do both steps. We have to stop copying the world and be transformed. Can you imagine if, uh, if there are two artists I don't know what they're. What are, I don't know what an artist is called that shapes clay. I don't know if that's a sculptor or not, or if that's the chiseling rock kind of artist. But anyways, um, imagine you got a piece of clay and you've got two artists. One's trying to make it into a snake, and the other one's trying to make it into a dove. Okay, but they're both working on the piece, same piece of clay. It, it's never going to become either one. It, it's just going to be a mess. Uh, depending on whose hands it sits under the longest, it may start to take a little bit of that shape, but once the other person gets a hold of it, they're going to ruin what it was becoming. We have to remember, remember we were all going in a particular direction. We were already being shaped into a particular thing. Um, so we have to let God ruin that thing. We need to let God ruin that thing. Um, we need to, to stop letting our lives be conformed by the world and let God transform it, change it into something completely different. And we have to trust God enough to be okay with that. That we're okay. You know, it may be hard. There may be some things you don't want to let go of, but we know that God loves us. He sent his son to die for us. He, he rescued us from death. We had majorly angered him. We'd, we'd, we'd accrued his wrath 
and yet he loved us and gave himself for us. So if he wants us to do something and it's opposed to something that the world is doing, we have to trust that that's better for us. We have to trust that that is going to be for our good because that God, it, God's will is for our good. He desires good for our lives. He is for us, as we sang earlier during worship. When you think about it, the world wants us to get wrapped up watching TikTok and scrolling on Facebook and wasting our money on stuff that's going to end up in the garbage. And God wants to make us more and more like him, more and more into his glorious image. Um, when you think of those two different pictures of becoming more like the creator or, or becoming what, whatever it is the world is trying to shape us into that's headed to death, uh, it, it, it makes it kind of an easy choice. It's kind of an easy choice when we when you think about it when you, you know they said we can reason these things it, it you know but we we've also those who have received the holy spirit into our lives we've experienced god in our lives we've experienced the reality of god living in us and um and he asks us to respond to him by giving our lives in worship to him Lord Jesus, we thank you. We honor you. We remember the great sacrifice you made for us. We, we remember the great love for you you have for us. Lord, we choose to offer to you our everything, to lay it all down to you, Lord, to, to desire to know your will, what your what, what it is that pleases you, what it is that honors you, what it is that is holy and acceptable to you, Lord God. Lord, we pray that your spirit would strengthen us, that your spirit would encourage us, that we would be in tune with what your spirit is calling us to, how you want us to use these lives that you've given us, this life that we live in this body. What do you want? How can we honor you with what we have? How can we bring glory to you? How can we uh, become a better reflection of the glory of the Almighty God and, and, uh, and see fruit, see life, see, see something of, of meaning and a purpose in this world that is, seems to be chasing after things that have no meaning and have no purpose, Lord. Let us be... Uh, a true reflection of a God that loves them, a love that endures, a love that goes beyond the grave, a love that has um, a future for them, a love that, that desires to heal, a love that desires to bring peace and restoration and joy. Lord, let us be a reflection of that. Use us, Lord. Use us to, not just to not just to be a light to the world, Lord, but just to show you, uh, to give you, to return to you something that's of worth, something that's of value, something that requires sacrifice on our part, Lord. We offer you our, our whole lives, Lord. Strengthen us, guide us, direct us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.